0: All right, today's subject, as we've heard already, is um, that of discernment, and so we're going to take a look at uh, what it means to be discerning, and I think we've got some good scriptures that we can reference to that might help us to understand a little bit more uh, about that subject. So. Um, let's start by, as we have been doing each day, taking a look at our theme reference scriptures for the day, and um, then we'll go from there. And the first that I'd like to look at is from the section uh, 22 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And I'm going to read. I think the the verse is actually 9a that we this is our reference, but I'd like to back up a little bit from that because it gives us some good context as to. Um, what it is that we need to... a little more context into this scripture. So let's start at uh, section 22. I'm going to start at verse 6. It says, And it came to pass that Moses looked and beheld the world upon which he was created. And as Moses beheld the world and the ends thereof, and all the children of men which are and which were created, of the same he greatly marveled and wondered... And the presence of God withdrew from Moses, that his glory was not upon Moses. And Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. And it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength, like unto man. And he said unto himself, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing. Which thing I never had supposed, but now my eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. And now it came to pass that when Moses had said these words, behold, Satan came tempting him, saying, Moses, son of man, worship me. And it came to pass that Moses looked upon Satan and said, Who art thou? For behold, I am a son of God in the similitude of his only begotten. And where is thy glory that I should worship thee? For behold, I could not look upon God, except his glory should come upon me, and I were transfigured before him. But I can look upon thee in the natural man. Is it not so, surely? Blessed be the name of my God, for his spirit hath not altogether withdrawn from me. Or else, where is thy glory? For it is darkness unto me, and I can judge between thee and God. For God said unto me, Worship God, for him only shalt thou serve. Get thee hence, Satan. Deceive me not, for God said unto me, Thou art after the similitude of mine only begotten. And he also gave unto me commandment when he called upon me out of the burning bush, saying, Call upon God in the name of mine only begotten and worship me. And again Moses said, I will not cease to call upon my God, I have other things to inquire of him, for his glory has been upon me, and it is, glo- and it is glory unto me, wherefore I can judge between-, between him and thee, depart hence, Satan. And now when Moses had said these words, Satan cried with a loud voice and went upon the earth and commanded, saying, I am the only begotten, worship me. And it came to pass that Moses began to fear exceedingly. And as he began to fear, he saw the bitterness of hell. Nevertheless, calling upon God, he received strength, and he commanded, saying, Depart hence, Satan, for this one God only will I worship, which is the God of glory. So I know that was kind of a long reading. I've been doing some long readings here the last uh, couple of days. But what wonderful context we are given and insight, I think, that we are given into the spiritual world where Moses describes the glory of God. What an experience that must have been. And the glory of God was such that Moses had to be transfigured before him to be able to even be in his presence And so then comes along Satan. Remember, I told you, Satan's got a lot of nerve. Here he comes along to tempt Moses. Moses was exhausted by the experience, wasn't wasn't he, that he had with God. And Satan came along in his weakness. So there's one interesting clue for us that we need to be careful of as we think about this, and as we think about discernment and temptation in general. Satan comes to us in our weakness. And what does he have the nerve to tell Moses to do? To worship him. Satan wants Moses to worship him. And Moses looks at him. These are Joe's words. Who are you? (laughs) You You don't have any glory. I've seen God. I had to be transfigured so that I could behold His glory because if I hadn't been transfigured, I would have been, I forgot what the word was, wasted. What was it? Withered before Him. And here Satan is, and you're telling me to worship you. You have no glory. So Moses was given a very keen insight as to discerning between... um, those things which are righteous and those things which are wicked. We could probably spend all of our class hour just talking about this one particular uh, section that I just read, section 22, this part in section 22 that I read, Um, but we'll try to move on. But I wanted to start us there because we need to definitely understand that there is a distinction between the righteousness of God and the um, uh, what's, what's the word that I'm, I'm trying to look for the imposter that Satan is because Satan came and tried to tell Moses to worship him like Satan was something to be worshipped and he wasn't he had no glory did it do you think that made Satan mad <laughs> I think so too What did he say there? Satan cried with a loud voice and went upon the earth, commanding, it says, saying, I am the only begotten, worship me. Those are the words of Satan, he's an imposter, because he knows he's not the only begotten. But he tries to deceive mankind. Did you have a comment? Microphone.
1: 14 and 15 it says Satan actually began to tremble and the earth shook and Moses then received back his strength and Moses did what he was supposed to do he called upon God and said to Satan depart hence and Satan got the message because in 15 he says Satan began to cry with a loud voice weeping, wailing gnashing of teeth And
0: departed. He's very dramatic, I think.
1: (laughs) That's his only glory. He has
2: great. Maybe that is his only
0: glory. He's got a lot of drama. Yeah, very very interesting. Elisa?
2: I just came across this quote just the other day that I thought was interesting, and it says, The enemy didn't tempt Adam and Eve to murder, steal, or tell a lie. He tempted them to question the word of God and his tactics have not changed. And I think that's true. A lot of times we think that we're going to be tempted to do an action, but that's really what we're choosing because we allow Satan to to allow us to question God's word.
0: Yeah, read that again for us.
2: The enemy didn't tempt Adam and Eve to murder, steal, or tell a lie. He tempted them to question the
0: word of God. His tactics have not changed. Very good. His tactics have not changed. Scott?
3: Well, you kind of get the impression that
4: t- Satan... First he threw a tantrum, then he kind of and, and it's kind of the equivalent of I'm going to take my ball and go home. I'm well instead of Moses I'm going to go to these other people who aren't who weren't transfigured who aren't as discerning. I'm going to you know try the same trick on them and more likely a high percentage of them will fall for it. So I'll just go over to them you know because Moses didn't go yep. for it but they will. Yeah. You know kind
0: of. And I want us I want us to be careful about one thing too. You know we. Um We look at this, and we he very much did throw a tantrum. But then I think we automatically equate that, well, he must be just like a toddler, you know, throwing a tantrum. Let me tell you something, though. Satan is very powerful. His influence is very strong. Take a look outside these campgrounds in the world today. You can see his influence, and and we're admonished and counseled. You better be careful about thinking that you can take him on head to head. Okay? So here's Moses, who was just in the presence of God, and even Moses said that um, he began to fear exceedingly. Moses began to fear exceedingly. So when Satan threw his tantrum, it must have been powerful enough that caught satan in a position and he began to fear and he then didn't it say that he then called upon god nevertheless calling upon god he received strength that is the only way that we can defeat satan we cannot do it in and of ourselves so don't think that you're strong enough or spiritual enough where you can take him on head to head even moses had to call upon god to do that and to have the strength for that to be done so uh everett up here Wait for the microphone. Just a second.
4: When he had told Satan the name of the only begotten to leave, he went upon the earth and said, I'm the only begotten, worship me. And I found this in Genesis 3 of the inspired version where it says, And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying that Satan whom thou hast commanded in the name of the only begotten is the same which was from the beginning. He came before me, saying, Behold, I, send me, I'll be thy son. I'll redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. But behold, my beloved son, which is my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, the glory be thine forever. Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, also that I should give him my own power, for the power of begotten, I caused that he should cast down and became Satan
0: thank you everett that's a great scripture gives us another you know good insight as to what his nature is like satan desired the glory and he desired he said i'll go save mankind surely i will do it taking away mankind's agency so those things are all contrary to the law of god and so because of those things, he was cast out from his presence. Eric and then Brenda. Um,
3: just a, a recent example, um, and, and I know some people knew, kind of felt immediately what, what was right or wrong, but, you know, this uh, man who from Brazil who claimed that he had, uh, you know, the records and so on, uh, there were so many people who wanted that to be true. I mean, they did. And, and they wanted it so badly, they believed it. Uh, but for me, uh, when, when I heard about it, I thought, well, I'll, I'll kind of hear the things out. But I, I never, thinking of this experience, I never felt the Spirit. And I thought to myself, if this is really of the Lord, the Spirit should just be flooding over, in abundance, kind of like Moses, you know, where is thy glory? I've been in the presence of the Lord Almighty, and where is thy glory? And, and I think about that now, that, yeah, there was, there was no presence there. There was no spirit. And, uh, and, and that was, of course, a real big clue to, to me, at least, that, okay, yeah, there, there's something not right here. Yeah, and, and you can see
0: in these last days the need for discernment. And that's just, that's one big example right there. What a, you know, a deception that is, uh, has gone out on the face of the earth. And there's lots of them. So we got to be very discerning. Brenda? Um,
5: well, this scripture that, that um, Everett just read in, in Genesis about Satan not giving us a choice, and uh, I just wanted to point out how many testimonies this morning we talked about the choice that we have and this discernment that we need to make those choices.
0: Yeah, that, that's really good. Jane? Genesis 3, Everett, what was that reference? Do you remember? We'll look it up for you, Jane, come back to you. Uh, Greg, did you have your hand up? Yeah
6: far as discernment is concerned and you were talking about being aware of the capabilities of Satan um, I find it extremely interesting at how cunning and sly he is yet how daggum bold he is <laughs> to and I, and I think it's important to take into consideration the way this is said to quote scripture out of context to the only begotten in, in a way to hopefully pull him away from his design, his purpose, his glory, so that he would be able to do what he ultimately wanted to, and that was to drag everybody down to the level of him. He's he's not he's not afraid to take a hundred percent truth and turn it into a ninety nine point nine percent truth to try and deceive and to pull man away, to to the point of even quoting what we consider to be scripture. Yep.
0: Yeah, he's very, uh, very brazen in his actions. And uh, why do you suppose he's that way? Why is Satan that way? He wants us to be miserable like he is.
1: It's also true that the bigger the lie, the bigger the liar. (laughs) If if you're going to make a little lie go over, then okay. But if you're going to make a big lie go over, you have to be a really big, bright, intelligent liar. Because you have to know what you said and then be able to back it up. That's where most liars get caught. They forget what they said.
0: That, that's right. That's why I always tell the truth because I, I have a terrible memory. I'd get, I would get caught in my lie because I can't remember what I've, what I've talked about. So Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Thank you. Any other thoughts there on this, uh, this particular scripture before we move on? All right. Let's look at the next uh, theme reference scripture. This is out of the book of uh, Moroni. So go over to the book of Mormon. What great instruction. You know, I like the book of Moroni. And I don't know where it says in here. I won't take the time to look it up. But... Um, but it's like Moroni said, okay, there's some things that we I haven't covered completely that I want to just make sure that it's very clear that we check these off. And he's going through and wrapping everything up and making sure he puts a nice bow on all the uh, instruction that's we've received. So that's why I really do like the, uh, the book of Moroni. And uh, I'm going to take a look at uh, the seventh chapter, um, starting with, I think I'll start with verse 13 and read down... Um, Read down a little bit. So it says, For behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge, that ye may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain, that ye may know with a perfect knowledge, as the day is from the dark night. For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given to every man, that they may know good from evil. Wherefore I show unto you the way to judge, for everything which inviteth to do good, and to persuade to believe in Christ, is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore ye may know with the perfect knowledge it is of God, but whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil, and believe not in Christ, and deny him, And serve not God, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. For after this manner doth the devil work, for he persuadeth no man to do good, no, not one. Neither does his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. And now, my brethren, seeing that ye know the light by which ye may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that ye do not judge wrongfully. For with that same judgment which ye judge, shall also, ye shall also be judged. So here we're back, and we talked about this um, yesterday or the day before, that the Spirit of Christ is given to every man, that they may know good from evil. It says it right there in in that 14th verse. So I take the word every man to mean every man. Everybody, I think, is given that spirit of Christ. If you're not familiar with with Christ and his church, a lot of the world will say, uh, my conscience told me that I probably shouldn't do that, you know. And I think we can explain it that way. I I think that does make some sense that everybody has a conscience. What's different about you and I as it relates to the Spirit? What did you say, Barbara? We, We know where that Spirit comes from. We have made a covenant in the waters of baptism, haven't we? And then the elders have laid their hands upon us. And what what have we been given in that? The gift of the Holy Ghost. Do we then, can we say we have an added portion of that spirit? I think that seems reasonable, that we have an added portion of that. Reggie and then Brenda. Say that again. If we use it. So there's an exercise that comes along with that. Great point. Brenda?
5: So if some of you don't know, I teach first grade at, at CPRS. So so these are children that are getting close to preparing for baptism. And, and I had a student one year that uh, – I don't remember what he did. He did something, and I was trying to work on his heart a little bit. Had some one-on-one time. And um, I told him that we're born with, with the Lord's Spirit in our heart. And that we just need to listen to that still small voice. And he said, Well, I don't have that in my heart. <laughs> I thought, Oh, I've got <laughs> i got some work to do this year. But but then I also thought about this the rest of the scripture it talks about how um, Satan can't do good. And so then I thought about, well then so then the way he gets around that is by calling good evil and evil good. He makes everybody think that what they're doing is good when it isn't. Because he's he's the father of lies. I've told my students that, too, if I catch them in a lie. I say, you know what, Satan's the father of lies, and their eyes get big.
0: That <laughs> and hurts. They, that yeah, stings a little
5: and I, bit. And, I, and that, that probably sounds harsh, but, you know, you got to work on that heart.
0: Yeah, great illustration. I'm glad we're all not like first graders. <laughs> I say that with a bit of sarcasm because I yeah many times we are just like sometimes like toddlers and sometimes like first graders um, and so it's a good representative example for us as we look at our children into how how do we act um, sometimes so yeah that that's a great great discussion. Um, you know this spirit, uh, I was looking back to try to find uh, I think it's in here in Moroni um, if you turn to the 10th chapter of Moroni you're all familiar with this where um, we're counseled to um, seek the Heavenly Father's wisdom as it relates to We we put it to the to the belief of the Book of Mormon, but it it really goes beyond that. Uh, Moroni chapter 10, starting verse 4 says, And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God the Eternal Father in the name of Christ if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost." And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. And while that applies, I think, to the fullness of the gospel, the Book of Mormon here, I think that applies really to every aspect of our lives. You know, if we're faced with a, a decision or a concern, such as, you know, the, Eric talked about the gold plates that, that surfaced a few years ago, you know, that's a big deal. And we put it to the Lord um same thing happened in 1984 whoa that's a big deal you know and put it to the lord and it came to a point where there had to be a separation or a dividing within the church you know and and we felt like we had to follow our conscience (laughs) the direction of that spirit and we became the restoration independent restoration branches and we've been that way ever since um we need to put the Lord to the test because the promise is that we may know the truth of all things.
6: Greg? One of the important things with this counsel given here is the requirement to act before taking it to the Lord. And part of the promises that are just... Full, full, that are throughout the entire scriptures is part of that prom. Part of that action process is seeking God's face, or studying Him out, or knowing what His truths are, so that the Spirit can then manifest itself through those truths that you already have resident, and then fill in the gaps where they exist in our lives, our minds, our hearts. So there has to be an action process before you just take it to the lord it's not like what i wanted to do in college where i'd take my notes set them underneath the pillow and hope <laughs> that i would be able to pass the test the next day osmosis right and right. it, it unfortunately it doesn't work like that I, uh, I would be extremely intelligent if that was the case <laughs> but you have to be actively engaged and i like to call it the owner's manual otherwise without getting into the owner's manual you aren't going to know how to run the vehicle
0: Well, and think about, you know, 1984, I think that woke a lot of us up, and we dove back into the Scriptures. For so long, we just took the direction of prophetic counsel, you know, from the prophet and presidency of the church. Okay, well, that's just the way it is. And we forgot a lot of what the words of Christ said. And so when we put it to the test, I think the Lord then revealed the truth. To us in in these things, and we were able to understand what it is that that we needed to know, at least in part. He he cast a little light on our on our path, so we could take a step step
4: at a time. Everett concerning the conference of '84, I remember re- reading experience from the Restoration Voice by the late Ivan Bird. He was at the Melchizedek conference, and they were talking about this revelation. A spirit was felt there, and he was asking God is this spirit of you and your voice pulled and said so what about second John a certain chapter concerning false spirits coming in, that if the spirit can testify that Christ came in the flesh, it's of God. If it does not, it's not of God. Well he tested that spirit, and that spirit could not testify that Christ came in the flesh. He also had another experience of seeing a river of filth and seeing women driving a brand new car up that river.
0: Interesting. Yeah, thank you, Everett, for sharing sharing that. Yeah, I was thinking about this these words here. Ask with a sincere heart, with real intent. And I think that's an important aspect of it as well. As Greg spoke of, you know, it's we need to study some of these things, well we need to study all of these things out ourselves. And I don't know if it's been your experience or not, but when I have done that, a lot of times the Lord directs my mind and says, hey, look at that scripture. Sometimes I'll have to look it up and find where it's at exactly. Most of the time, actually, I have to do that. But then I go to that scripture, and then another thought comes to my mind, and I go to another scripture. And by the time I've listened to that counsel, my question is answered. You know, And he doesn't have to provide necessarily a... um, a light from heaven to answer my question because we already have it right here he just directs our path and that's what the Holy Spirit is for that's part of the office work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us and direct us bring things to our remembrance it says and to give us a revelation or the revealment of Jesus Christ and who he is and so I I so appreciate uh, that about him Tom, did you have a comment? I, um, I really love, uh, like you said, Moroni, and, and here, and what he's describing. Because if you look back in 11, he, uh, you know, because there's a lot of things out there that we come across that are purported to be good. But he really defines what good is. He says, Wherefore, in 11, behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good, and to love God, and to serve Him, is inspired of God. Yeah. that's. Thanks for putting an exclamation on that. That, that is good right there, that description. All right. Are there any other comments before we kind of move on? Yeah, Barb? Sure. Sorry.
1: How does he gift of discerning the spirit differ from discernment are we all given that gift
0: great question
1: or is that something that some people have and other people have to study and wade their way their way through
0: that i'm gonna i'll give you my understanding I, I believe that that is the case i think that is a gift from god and just like we all have different gifts I think some people are given that specific gift. Um, can you work yourself into having a gift from God? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not going to go across that particular line. Um, but I will tell you, you know, just as I said, that the Spirit brings all things to our remembrance. So if we are well studied in the Lord's words and we need to discern something and we know that that Spirit is truth, and we know that His Word is truth, then He'll direct us to that Word so we can discern through the truth of the Word the answer to whatever it is that we're trying to to resolve. So while we may not be ha- given that very special gift of discernment, we can come or arrive at discernment through the promise of that Holy Spirit. Did that make sense? <laughs> And I know people that have had it, the gift of discernment. Very good.
1: But I'm not, I mean, I've had people tell me that I look at people differently than the rest of the world does. And I see things in people that the rest of the world doesn't see. And so I'm presuming that's part of the spirit of discernment. Um, and that's not something that I can go look up or whatever. That's just something that is there, and I don't. I don't think it's for everything in the world, but I think it's for. In my case, I think it's for my protection because I'm not real good at um, picking and choosing things and. I'm able to read people better. And so God protects me from people I should not be around by the fact that I can discern that they are not someone who is asking me to do something that he would not have. Okay. And I think that's just his way of protecting me and letting me
0: be me. Yeah, and I also wonder you know, if there are different degrees of discernment or different aspects of discernment you know there's the discernment of um, a person's personality or a need in that person's life or a lack you know of something in that person's life and you can be discerning of that and then there's the discernment of deeper spiritual questions you know so those things I, I see as kind of different avenues much sure of the right way to describe that of discernment there really are yeah. That
1: you get two people who have the gift of discernment, and they may totally be different as far as what God gave it to them
0: for. Yeah, And, and I know of some people in my life that I have uh, I felt like they've had that gift of discernment. And I could see them in their, these were priesthood members, I could see them in their office and calling, discerning needs of people and going to them, and pulling them aside and say, "Hey, is everything going okay? You know?" And, and then they'll break down. It's like, "No, it's not going okay." And they'll they will have discerned that, not even having talked to them prior. So I think there's different ways to look at that, uh, Brother Wayne. The Holy Spirit is given to every man that they and there's a little tiny word right there that they may know. And that suggests various levels, and it also suggests responsibility or something we have to do to receive that. So there's a lot of variables involved there, but it comes back to us and what we do with it. That, that's a great point, and just think about, um, think about the opposite, because you look out in the world and you see all the sin that is in the world, and how can these people who have been given a portion of the Spirit because they're on this earth, and they choose to ignore that. And so to, to that very point. Great, great comment.
2: Oh, I just wanted to bring up a point of interest. Um, we've been talking about Moroni and the fact that he wrote these things. Um, but if you read right at the very beginning of Moroni, chapter 1, it says that he supposed he was going to die. He wrote, he finished the abridgment, he was done but he didn't die he goes well since i haven't died i guess i will write some instruction to those who will continue to live after me and so that's the whole purpose of that whole brook of moroni really is just to throw everything the kitchen sink in there to because he had the discernment to know that these things are going to be important because they needed to be reiterated or brought up for the for the Lamanites and Nephites in the future. So he was exercising a certain type of discernment at that moment. Yeah, But cool. I just thought it was kind of funny that, well, I haven't died, so I guess I better write some more.
0: Might as well keep writing. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Reggie. And you go know, back to Nephi, First Nephi, where he says, I know not why I'm writing these, but I've been commanded to write them. The same way with Moroni. I know not why I'm writing these. He didn't word it this way. I know not why I'm writing these, but I've been commanded to write this. And and with your example of, of a priesthood member going up to somebody, is there something? They don't know what the what the issue is, but they know there's something awry. Yeah. And they're going to fulfill their responsibility as a priesthood member. Once again, not taken away the agency of whoever, and that's the way it was with Nephi. That's the way it was with Moroni, priesthood members, you know, with with discernment, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I I marvel
4: at. uh, I think it
0: was Nephi that, as he was doing his recording, that to your point, I know not why he went back and he re-recorded some things. The Lord told him to do that. And you remember the the pages of the Book of Mormon that were lost, and they weren't really lost because Nephi knew that he needed to continue to record uh, or re-record that information, so they weren't lost unto us. I didn't explain that very very well, but I hope you kind of understand, you know, my point. Um, the Lord knows. Yep, the Lord knows. And and think about what we have in the book of Moroni. Um, We have the the sacrament prayers are contained in there. You know, they wouldn't have had that record until Joseph Smith was given the sacrament prayers and the Doctrine and Covenants. And so there's a period of time there that these are are recorded here in the book of Moroni. He talks about uh, exercising our, our faith and and discernment. He's, he talks about, um, you know, the scripture that, that we read there in the, the seventh chapter, you know, and the spirit of Christ is given to every man. So there's so many gems that are here in Moroni that uh, I'm so glad he had a little more time to, to write. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't die. That's right. Everett?
4: We talk about the, the sacraments of the church in Moroni, as well as in Doctrine and Covenants, the blessings. But you wonder what Christ was saying when he blessed the bread and wine that night at the Passover. Yeah. It also shows in the Book of Mormon that we, well, we believe in close communion. He says, in that least, of his church.
0: That's right. Yep, there's a lot of good information uh, in there. Hey, if you've got your hymn books with you, you could either read it on your handout here on on page 9, or you could turn to to hymn number 75. This hymn came to me in in my preparation. This is by Elbert A. Smith, um, Like a Brook to the Valley. I love this hymn. Of course, Elbert's one of my favorite authors, so I probably naturally like this hymn just just because of that. It says, like a brook to the valley, like the bird to the hill, Zion's children shall rally, they shall sing to thee still. Like a light by the ocean, like a star in the sky, with the world in commotion, Zion's light shall burn high. Boy, is our world in commotion right now, don't you think? Then like Enoch's fair city... Shall the one that we found rise in justice and pity from the Lord's chosen ground? And that one of fair story, the abode of pure love, with the Savior in glory, shall descend from above. Think about that word right there, glory, with my Savior in glory. We've been talking about that this morning. Like the angels that labor, both in spirit and word, Every man and his neighbor, they shall work for the Lord. Though the vision may linger, and the time seem or do, it is writ by God's finger, it must surely come true. How many of you have felt like that it's way overdue? (laughs) Speaking of Zion, it's way overdue, Lord. And. Heaven forbid that we counsel our Lord, but I sure feel that way sometimes myself. That's right. We we have got to to work it. Um, but I also know, as he, the very last words, it's writ by God's finger, it will come true. It surely will come true. I just thought that was a, a great... Um, Explanation, I think, of uh, of what it is that we see around us in the world today, of the confidence we need to have in the glory of our heavenly Father, and we will see Him descend, and uh, and we will see that time when it is His time, we will see it come true. I think that's just great encouragement uh, for us today. All right. So as we've been talking here about this idea of discernment, I want to talk a little bit about the confidence that we can have in our God, okay, and what he has provided um, to us. And what I mean is, I'm going to ask you to turn over to the book of Alma, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verses uh, 34 and 35. If you're inclined, this is a pretty good scripture to memorize, these two verses here. Alma chapter 5, starting at verse 34, it says, Yea, I perceive that ye are making his path straight. I perceive that it has been made known unto you by the testimony of his word that he cannot walk. In crooked paths. Neither doth he vary from that which he has said. Neither hath he a shadow of turning from the right to the left, nor from that which is right to that which is wrong. Therefore, his course is one eternal round. So let me ask you this Can we have confidence in our God? Can we trust him? Sure. He is truth. Does his path vary based on what we just read? Nope. It's straight. His paths are straight. He doesn't walk in crooked paths, he doesn't zigzag around. It's straight. He doesn't vary from what he said. So we can believe his word. He doesn't vary at all from what he said. He doesn't turn to the right or to the left. His course is one eternal round. So if you think about a big circle, and if you had any way of describing eternity, that's probably the only way that my finite mind can can begin to understand it. Is a circle is really without a beginning or the end? It just is continually one, and God is one eternal round. Now think of a circle that's infinitely large, and then you start to get the picture of what He is like. So, so He doesn't vary at all um, from what He has said. Turn over to uh, the Old Testament. Let's look at the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Here we can get some confidence, I think. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord and I change not. doesn't change. It's pretty clear, brothers and sisters, it's pretty clear. So as you think about some of the things we've heard in our lives, like uh, disjunctive revelation, well, that revelation doesn't fit with this revelation, and they applied the explanation that that's okay, because sometimes they're Not consistent. Well, that is not consistent (laughs) with what we read in the Lord's words because he does not change. So think about this. Think about Lehi's vision. Remember Lehi's vision? When I was a young man and we attended church in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, I went to the senior high class from freshman all the way through my... my senior year high school and that class was taught by a young deacon newly ordained when I was a freshman um, he agreed to teach that senior high class there was only probably four or five of us in there and it was a different four or five every Sunday it seemed like there we didn't have real consistency other than I was there every Sunday my mom always made sure I was there and we went over Lehigh's vision every year <laughs> and it seems like we studied it year after year Um, that's the scripture that he knew and that's the story that that young deacon knew and he took me under his wing and he made sure and drilled into my head the story of Lehi's vision and what, what do you think about in Lehi's vision you know we have the mists of darkness that come up and then there's the rod of iron what did that rod of iron represent the word of God you grasp hold of that rod of iron just like a railing, that's what the picture comes to my mind, and you make your way along that rod of iron, even if it gets so dark you can't see one foot in front of the other, you got to hold of that rod of iron, and you make your way until you can get to that tree of life and partake of the fruit of that tree of life. So these, these brothers and sisters, these are our rod of iron. This is the Word of God that we're to grasp hold of And to hold it firmly. And it doesn't mean that we show up to church every Sunday. I've got my scriptures by my side all the time. And it gets worn on the edges and leather cover because I'm holding it all the time. But that doesn't mean it's open. My dad's here today, so this is a funny testimony, and then we'll take a break. So in college, I I was about five hours away from my hometown, five-hour drive to get to my college, and I had a, a house that I lived in with some friends of mine, two other men, and um, I had my scriptures. My I didn't have a three-in-one back then. I had my scriptures that I got when I was eight years old, individual books, and I had them out on my, my counter, and my parents came to visit me a couple times when I was in college, and this one particular time they came, and I was showing in my room, and, oh, I see you got your scriptures out. Oh, yeah, I got my scriptures out. My dad went over, and Drew his finger across the top of my scripture where you could see all the dust that was on the top of my scriptures. So you can't just carry your scriptures around with you, saints. You have to have them open and you have to have them, uh, you have to read them, you know, to truly hold on to the rod of iron. So uh, let's take a break there and we'll, uh, we'll come back in about 10 minutes for the second part of our class.